Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, the show where America is the star and the American people. Up next, a story about a man you've likely heard about in elementary school and remember as the peanut guy. His name, George Washington Carver, and he didn't invent peanut butter or much of anything at all. Rather, throughout his life, he worked to improve the lives of the farmers and students around him. Here's National Park Service Ranger Curtis Gregory at the George Washington Carver National Monument in Diamond, Missouri, with a story of this remarkable man. Well, Moses and Susan Carver were um, originally from Illinois, 
And they came here between 1830, 1835, probably closer to 1835. And they came out here, like a lot of people at that time period, to start a new life. Moses farmed about 100 acres, and he grew corn, wheat, um, potatoes, and all sorts of different crops to make a living. He had a lot of work, farm animals on the property, so it was a working farm. And so Moses would take his crops or so, or products into town to sell them. So that's how Moses kind of made a living. And Moses and Susan did that for about 20 years or so by themselves. And then in 1855, uh, Moses purchased one enslaved girl by the name of Mary. We believe that in 1855 is when she had her first son, James, called him Jim. And then between 1860 to 1864, probably closer to 1864, is when we believe that George was born. Now there's not an exact birth date on George, but we believe he was born about 1864. We also believe that George's father was another enslaved individual on a neighboring farm who died in an accident before George was born. So George would have never known his father and he would have barely known his mother because at the end of the Civil War or so, after George was born, George and his mother were abducted or kidnapped here. Here in Southwest Missouri, at the near the end of the Civil War, so it was kind of a dangerous unrest place. Bushwhackers, slave raiders, Jayhawkers, all these groups of individuals were located in this area. And someone or a group of individuals came on the Moses Carver farm and took Mary, and George would have been a small baby. Moses Carver, of course, the enslaver wanted to get him back, so he hired a man to go out to, you know, to retrieve basically his property. And so the story goes that this John Bentley went down in Arkansas, 40 miles south of here, and that's where George was found. But Mary was never ever found. So George was brought back here, and Mr. and Mrs. Carver took the two boys in and George would have stayed here until he was about maybe about 12 or so. So the, the Civil War ends, slavery ends, and so George and Jim are kind of boys growing up on a, a rural Missouri farm. The story goes that George was kind of sickly as a, as, a, as, a, as a boy here, so he would help around the cabin with some of the chores like washing clothes, which we do know that was one of his chores. He made it into a business later when he went off to one of his colleges. Jim was a stronger little kid, so he would help Moses around the farm with, you know, milking cows, collecting eggs, and those type of chores. When George had free time, he would go down in the wooded area where he began to learn about flowers and trees and birds and all sorts of things to deal with the natural world. And this is where we believe it started at his formative years on the, on, on the, on the Carver farm, where he began to learn about all sorts of things to deal with nature. And he would go down in the woods and he would play and he would explore and he was very curious about how trees would grow, how flowers would grow, all sorts of things to deal with the natural world. He collected rocks in the woods and he had a very, very special place that he called his secret garden and he wouldn't tell anyone where his secret garden was located. And while he was here, this is where he got dubbed the plant doctor because George, supposedly George was able to take little sick plants and heal them and 
Supposedly all the neighbors around in the area would bring their plants that George could heal their little plants. So he was known as the plant doctor while, while he was here. And also on the, on the farm is where he learned art. And that was George's first love was art when he was a kid here. There's a wonderful story that goes that he was supposed to run an errand for Mrs. Carver for one of the neighbors and was supposedly only able to go to the kitchen, but he went into the parlor or living room where he saw paintings for the first time, fell in love with paintings and went back into the wooded area and started making his own paints out of mud, out of flowers, out of berries and started painting little na nature scenes and stuff. He's a little kid, he didn't know much about science. He's curious about the natural world, but his first love was art. And that's where it all started at here. And while he was here, he was also curious about learning, learning as much as he could, and he wanted to go to school. Well, this is right after the Civil War in Missouri, and Missouri changed its constitution to allow for black education. And so there was a school that was on, not located not too far from here, about a mile or so down on Carver Road. And it was, it was a church, you know, it, was a, it was a Locust Grove church, but during the week, it was the school for all the kids in this area. So George wanted to go to that school, but George and Jim were not allowed to go to that school because they were black. Now there is a possibility, we believe, that Moses Carver tried to get the boys admitted into the school, but we believe it was the townspeople that would not allow this. So he really wanted to go to school, so he found out in the nearby town of Neosho there was a school for, for black kids in the Osho. And he said he was leaving. He told Moses and Susan Carver that he was gonna go to that school in the Osho. And from the age of 12 or so, he was on his own. Moses didn't give him anything. As far as we know, no money. He didn't even give him a ride. So he walked the eight to 10 miles into the little town of the Osho. And when we come back, more of the story of George Washington Carver here on Our American Story. Here at Our American Stories, we bring you inspiring stories of history, sports, business, faith, and love. Stories from a great and beautiful country that need to be told. But we can't do it without you. Our stories are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. If you love our stories in America like we do, please go to OurAmericanStories.com and click the donate button. Give a little, give a lot. Help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. And we're back with Our American Stories and the story of George Washington Carver as told by National Park Service Ranger Curtis Gregory. When we last left off, George Washington Carver had decided to walk several miles to go to school in Neosha, Missouri, leaving behind his former enslavers. Let's continue with the story. So the story goes that he got to Neosha, he, he found the black section of town and the school, and nearby the school there was a house and supposedly behind this house was a barn or shed. 
And um, the story goes that George went to this barn or shed to spend the night or so, spend the night and the next day a lady came out to find him in this barn sleeping. She wanted to know why he was there. And Mariah Watkins, Mariah and Andrew Watkins who lived next door to the school took him in for about a year. And so he did chores around the house at Mariah and Andrew's house for, um, for his room and board. So when he, when he goes to live with Mariah and Andrew Watkins, Andrew and Mariah were a black couple next door to the school. They didn't have any children of their own. And um, so he, um, he, he stayed with them and he thought a lot about of, of Andrew and Mariah. They seemed to be like, I, I, kind of like the first like set of black parents that he, he had. He didn't, you know, he, he didn't know his mother. He didn't know his father. So this is the first really time that he has interaction with an African-American couple. And so he lives with them. Mariah um, was also a midwife. Um, she also dabbled in herbs and plants and she taught him about herbs and plants. And Mariah was also very religious, very spiritual. And so she, George, would go to church with her. And um, this is where we believe a lot of George's, um, his faith comes from. And so his relationship with the Watkins seemed to, be, seemed to be very strong. And he seemed to keep in touch with them for the, for the rest of, at least for the rest of her life. So he's in Neo show and he finds the school to be very good. He f forms friends in Neo show. But he thinks that he's, he learned as much as he could from the little school in the Osho. He thought he could do better. So there was a family that was moving to Fort Scott, Kansas. And George asked the family if he could go with them. They said, sure, you can go. So he left Neosho for about 75 miles away to Fort Scott, Kansas, claiming that he walked most of the way. I'm not sure how true that is, but he said he walked most of the way. He found a job and thought the job was a pretty good job and thought the school was a lot better. So life seemed to be pretty good for him in Fort Scott until March of 1879. There was an incident that took place that I think changed his early life. There was a black man that was, had allegedly committed a crime and the man was in jail but some of the townspeople thought the legal process was taking a little too slow. So this group of individuals supposedly went to the jail, they overtook the sheriff, beat the sheriff up, overtook the, um, the jailhouse, took the man out of jail, and George said they brought the man, dragged the man past where he was living at, and then they hung him from a lamppost and then set him on fire. And it was a pretty horrific incident that you know, that took place. Supposedly there were several hundred people or so that were involved in this. And it really frightened George. Whatever happened, either George was involved or he witnessed this, it, it really frightened him. But he's about 14 or 15 and that was frightening anyone. So the next day or so, in a few days or so, he immediately leaves Fort Scott. He leaves Fort Scott because of the incident. And the story seemed to stay with him a, a lot in his life because in the 1930s, someone was asking him about that incident and he said in the 1930s that it still frightened him. So from there, from, from Fort Scott, he drifted. 
from town to town. He um, went to Kansas City and took a typing course or some sort of business course. And then from Kansas City, he went to, um, he went, he went to Highland, Kansas. Highland, Kansas was a small town, but had a college. So he applies to Highland College on paper. He gets um, a letter back that he's accepted, very excited. But then when he showed up at Highland College for his first day, they wanted to know why he was there. And George explained why he was there. And he said, well, we can't take you because you're black. We did not know that you were black. And he homesteaded for a little while. He had a claim, but he wasn't very successful as a, as a, as a homesteader at all. And, and it was rough. The winters were rough out there. It was a, it was a rough environment. So for some odd reason, around, 18, around 1889 or so, he left there and went to Iowa. And really, no one knows why he went to Iowa, but it was a good choice to go to Iowa because he found a job working in a hotel. And while he was going to, a, he was attending a church, he met a doctor in Mrs. Milholland. And Dr. and Mrs. Milholland also had a huge, huge effect on his life. They became instant friends, and George stayed friends with them for the rest of their lives. And the Milhollands encouraged him a lot. They encouraged him not to give up his love of going to college. And so, during Winterset, Iowa, uh, about 20 miles or so away in Indianola, Simpson College. Simpson College is still open today. George applied to Simpson College. He was accepted, and when he showed up, they welcomed him with open arms. Now, while he was at Simpson College, he originally took a bunch of art courses because that was his first love, was art. And he wanted to be an artist. But there was a, a teacher that really showed some interest in George. And she said, you know, you're a good artist, George, but I'm not really sure if you can make it as, as an artist. So maybe you should think about some other career paths. Well, she noticed that he was a good drawer of flowers and plants. So this teacher said, maybe you should think about a career in botany. And so what's interesting is this teacher's father happened to be a professor of horticulture at Iowa Agricultural School, what is now Iowa State University. So George transfers to what is now Iowa State University. He was the first black person to be admitted at Iowa State University. So he arrives on campus on his first day. He's the only black student on the entire campus. He gets called a lot of derogatory names. And then Iowa didn't provide any provisions for him. They didn't provide a dormitory for him. A teacher gave him an office space for him to live. And at first when he arrived there, he couldn't eat in the cafeteria. He had to eat in the basement with the, with the help, with the kitchen help. But he never gave up. He graduated, the first black to graduate from Iowa Agricultural School with a degree in scientific agriculture, stayed at Iowa and um, got a master's degree in 1896 in agriculture as well. So um, they wanted him to stay there, but Booker T. Washington, and Booker T. Washington was one of the founders of Tuskegee in Tuskegee, Alabama. He invites Carver to come to start the agriculture department at Tuskegee.
And you've been listening to Curtis Gregory talking about the life of George Washington Carver. And there was a lot of meandering until there wasn't. And it was at Iowa State that he found his bearings, found his calling, and most important, found his mentors and the training he needed to get where he needed to get next. And of course, he made history, even as a college student, being the first African-American to ever graduate from what is now Iowa State University. When we come back, more of the life of George Washington Carver here on Our American Story. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives, big ones and small ones. If we keep them bottled up, boy, that can be a real problem. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, to figure out how to work through 
whatever's weighing you down. I know people who've profoundly benefited from therapy, learning everything from coping skills to setting boundaries in their life. You don't have to have experienced major trauma to benefit from therapy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's safe. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OAS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash OAS. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OAS. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. And we're back with Our American Stories and the story of George Washington Carver, as told by National Park Service Ranger Curtis Gregory. When we last left off, George Washington Carver, who had been the first black student at Iowa State University to graduate, had just been extended an invitation to join the faculty at the Tuskegee Institute, founded by none other than Booker T. Washington. He was to start the Agricultural Institute there. Let's continue with the story. George Washington Carver, in 1896, graduated from Iowa State at that time was Iowa Agricultural School, with a master's degree in scientific agriculture. Booker T. Washington found out about this young black student and offered him a position at Tuskegee Institute to start the agriculture department. Well, he went there and he found a school that was kind of starting out, didn't have a money for a laboratory for him, so what he did, what Carver did was, he and some of his students went to the junk piles around Tuskegee for his very first laboratory. You know, he was there for 47 years. He did quite a bit in agriculture, mainly for the peanut, because the peanut was so, he was so well known for because, I don't know, I think it was because of that testimony in 1921. When he went before the House Ways and Means Committee, is when Carver became well known as the peanut guy. There was a peanut association group that wanted him to speak on behalf of a peanut tariff. And so Carver agreed, and so he went to Washington and he spoke before the, the House Ways and Means Committee. When he got there to the room, the committee members were very rude. They made several racial comments about him. They weren't weren't very nice. And Carver just kind of blew some of those comments off. And so they gave him, they said, you know, you have 10 minutes to speak. And so what Carver did was he, he walked up to the, the head of the room and he had a box. And he put the box on the table and he started pulling these things out of the box that he had 
produced from peanuts. And the committee was so amazed by his presentation and what he was presenting, the committee chairman said, you have unlimited amount of time, brother. That's when he became known as this peanut person. Peanut got mad, because it was written the next day or so, it was written in newspapers all across the country about his presentation. He earned their respect. But Carver's whole goal to me was that he wanted to help the man furthest down. And Carver would often use this term where he would often say, I want to help my people as much as possible. And he would use that term most of his life. He wanted to help where students were learning agricultural techniques in the school. Carver and his staff would go out into the rural communities and help farmers and farming families as much as they could. Now, a lot of the things that Carver did were not new techniques at all, but they were definitely new to these mostly rural black farmers. He would write these agriculture bulletins that would um, encourage farmers and farming families how they could improve their lives and improve their land and such. Crop rotation and diversifying their crops and, and things like that. Now USDA agriculture bulletins were written on a scientific level, but what Carver did with his bulletins were he wrote them for the simple man in basic terms. Uh, there are about 43 different agricultural bulletins that he wrote. Carver also came up with a really, really neat idea early on when he was at Tuskegee, where he would outfit a movable school on wheels. Booker T. Washington secured funding from a, a wealthy New York banker by the name of Morris Jessup, and the, it became known as the Jessup Agriculture Wagon. And they would take this wagon out and set it up at a church or at someone's farm, and they would teach farmers. Besides teaching agriculture and stuff, Carver did so much more. He was a pretty good spokesperson for um, interracial cooperation. He would go out to white colleges and universities, oftentimes at first kind of rejected somewhat, but he would go and speak um, to white colleges and, and universities, never using race, but he would show examples of what he was able to do in his laboratory. And it was, what was interesting about that was a lot of these young people, white college students, would keep in touch with him for the rest of his life. Um, there was a group of young men called, that was known as the, known as the um, Carver's His Boys. Um, young white college students, Carver made a, such an impression on them, they would often come and visit him at Tuskegee, and they, a lot of times they would accompany him on some of his speaking engagements and such as well. Besides that as well, his love was art. He never gave up his love of art. He painted for the rest of his life. And what he would often use for his paints was clay, and he called it rich Alabama clay. And he would make paintings out of, he would use this rich Alabama clay to, to create his, 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 his paintings. Carver would often give these paintings away as gifts. He also did needlework and crocheting, but in those 47 years at, at Tuskegee, he dedicated himself to service. 
And he said, the service is the only thing that counts, to service, service to others. Carver lived a very, very simple life. He never moved off of the campus of Tuskegee. He lived in two dormitory rooms his entire life. You know, if we would see Carver today, some would think he would be, you know, he would maybe resemble a homeless person as such because he wasn't interested really in material wealth. The only thing that was recognizable about Carver every day was that he had a fresh flower or weed in his lapel. It seemed that Carver wasn't interested in, as I said, wasn't interested in a lot of material wealth, but he did have three patents from Peanuts, uh, one on a lady's facial cream from Peanuts and two on um, from paint stains. He never married. He came close one time to a lady at Tuskegee, but Things didn't work out too much. He had an assistant that he took in 1935, and this assistant, his name was Austin Curtis, and he was often called Baby Carver, and they were very good friends. He was kind of like his, like a, a son to, like a son to Carver. And then later on, he just seemed to be, he just seemed to have, have a lot of different just health problems. George Washington Carver died on January 5th, 1943. Six months later, Congress established George Washington Carver National Monument. Six months after his death, the first national monument dedicated to an African American in the National Park Service was established. He still has a huge influence, and a lot of our visitors that will come here will say, oh, I read a story, I read a biography on when I was a little kid and I remember George Washington Carver. And that's what brought me to your National Monument. We can continue that legacy every day with students that come here and they can remember and tell others and bring their parents here and bring others here and where they can, you know, fulfill that legacy uh, of, about George Washington Carver. And a terrific job on the production by Monty Montgomery. And a special thanks to Katrina Hine on the assist on the audio and storytelling. And most important, a special thanks to National Park Service Ranger Curtis Gregory, the George Washington Carver National Monument in Diamond, Missouri. The story of George Washington Carver, the peanut guy, here on Our American Story. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans, and yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is Our American Stories, and our next story, well, it's about the Wrigley Mansion. It was built by William Wrigley Jr., the man who invented, as you can probably guess, Wrigley's chewing gum. Judy Pearson is here to tell us the story of the building, the man who built it. Take it away, Judy. In 1891, 30-year-old William Wrigley arrived in Chicago from Philadelphia. With $32, the only money he had to his name, about $900 today, he started the Wrigley's Scouring Soap Company. To entice housewives to try his soap, he included a box of baking powder with every purchase. Wrigley was soon shocked to discover that his baking powder was more popular than his soap. So he went into the baking soda business, adding two packages of chewing gum to each can. Again, his gift with purchase was more popular than his primary product, and Wrigley's chewing gum was born, producing spearmint, juicy fruit, and double mint. The business grew, and so did Wrigley's fortune. 
In 1915, he spent two and a half million dollars telling people that chewing gum aided the digestion, and that chewing it was a pleasurable experience. Remember, double your pleasure, double your fun with double mint gum. Wrigley was a whirlwind of ideas. He never stopped innovating and reinventing himself, always ready for the next adventure. He bought a minority stake in the Chicago Cubs in 1916 and became the majority owner in 1921. Six years later, he changed the name of the team's ballpark to Wrigley Field. Wondering about the feasibility of shipping his chewing gum via the relatively new airplanes in 1919, Wrigley got the idea to drop packages connected to parachutes. Dealers across the Midwest would then travel to the drop points, taking delivery of their merchandise. That same year, Wrigley bought the Santa Catalina Island Company. As had been the case with Wrigley's own ventures, the company came with a gift with purchase: the entire island, located off the coast of Los Angeles. With the dream of creating an enterprise that would help employ local residents, Wrigley improved the island with public utilities, new steamships, a hotel, a casino, and extensive plantings of trees, shrubs, and flowers. By that time, Wrigley had ownership, full or partial, in 15 different companies around the country. It was Arizona that next captured his heart. He bought a few mines in the state, but real estate held a special interest. Wrigley created a syndicate with three other men to purchase 150 acres along famed Camelback Road. The purchase price was $100,000, a million and a half today. Although today it's worth many times more than that, the land was adjacent to the newly opened Biltmore Hotel, in which Wrigley was also heavily invested. The Czar of Chewing Gum owned four very palatial homes, but in 1930 he began building something special on the 100-foot-high La Colina Solana, the sunny hill. It would be an anniversary gift for Wrigley's wife Ada. And oh, what a home it was to be! The Mission Revival Mansion would be nearly 17,000 square feet. Set on 10 acres, it would have a 360-degree view of the Valley of the Sun below. The 30-foot-high foyer rotunda would be adorned with gold leaf and hand-painted ceiling, and the floor below was laid with tiles made in Wrigley's Catalina Island estate kiln. The rest of the home had pegged oak floors covered in beautiful handwoven Spanish rugs. The oak Steinway grand piano, to be placed in the living room, was one of only two in existence, doubling as a player piano. And all of the chairs throughout the mansion were carefully crafted lower than normal to accommodate Ada's petite frame. Every doorknob, hinge, window fixture, and switchplate in the mansion would be brass. With the exception of those in the family bedrooms, they were sterling silver. The mansion took three years to reach its splendor. It was Wrigley's plan to spend the early months of 1932 there, but a few weeks after arriving in January, he was stricken with acute indigestion, and died at the age of 70 in his bedroom atop the sunny hill. The Wrigley Mansion, as the locals called the home, remained a much-loved family destination. 
Ada suffered a stroke there, dying in 1957. And then, in 1973, the beautiful mansion was sold. Like a stray dog, she passed from one ill-fated owner to another, a developer who died of a heart attack, a savings and loan caught up in the 1980s scandal, another developer who filed for bankruptcy. But prior to each failed ownership, her lovely rooms and grounds welcomed business conferences, dozens of brides and grooms, and celebrity parties. And then, the end of the line arrived for the Wrigley Mansion. In 1992, rumors reported that this graceful landmark would be demolished for condo construction. Enter another intriguing millionaire capitalist with a love of beautiful things. Jordy Hormel's family had founded Hormel Foods, based in Austin, Minnesota. The company's most famous product was the canned meat, Spam. Jordy loved music owning a music studio in Los Angeles, and playing multiple instruments. As a composer, he had written a number of well-known television theme songs and once recorded with his buddy, Frank Zappa. Like William Wrigley, Jordy eventually found his way to Phoenix, where he bought the largest home in the state of Arizona. And not long after that purchase, he heard about the proposed fate of the mansion on the sunny hill. He called a realtor friend and requested a showing. In the first few minutes of his Wrigley Mansion tour, Jordy was transported back to his childhood, and the Wrigley's home reminded him of his own childhood home. Having turned that into a supper club, where he entertained guests with his accomplished piano playing, he knew he could do the same thing with this mansion. The beautiful stray dog won Jordy Hormel's heart. He bought it immediately. Jordy and his wife, Jamie, began restoring the mansion and opened it as a private club. Jordy entertained Sunday brunch guests on the Steinway Grand, still in the living room. He played Happy Birthday every Sunday because, as Jordy used to say, every day is someone's birthday. The family enjoyed the mansion as much as the public did. The Hormel children would sneak napkins out of the dining room and slide down the hill on them and the pastry chefs could always be charmed into giving them treats. They celebrated birthdays and holidays at the mansion, and the Hormels even renewed their wedding vows there. When Jordy died in 2006, Jamie became the mansion's proprietor. Continuing what her husband had begun, she has made it a world-class destination. She's brought the kitchen into the 21st century while lovingly updating rooms to former grandeur. The spectacular wine cellar is well-stocked. An outstanding Phoenix chef is at the helm in the kitchen, and the national awards keep rolling in. The Wrigley Mansion, and the Wrigleys in general, hold a special place in my heart. My mother was a die-hard and lifelong Chicago Cubs fan. The baseball team William Wrigley bought in 1921. Living in Phoenix, I discovered the magical charm of the Wrigley Mansion shortly after the Hormels reopened it as a private club and restaurant. I took my father there for dinner when he came to Phoenix on a business trip. He was so taken with the history and the views that when he returned home, he and my mother hatched the idea of a surprise 40th birthday party for me to be held in the mansion on the sunny hill. 
Every time I walk into that majestic foyer, I'm reminded of that magical night in 1993 when Happy Birthday was played for me on that famed Steinway in the living room. My mother died just a few weeks after my memorable Wrigley Birthday Gala and was never able to visit the Czar of Chewing Gum's beautiful Phoenix Mansion. But I know she would chuckle at one particular detail. Through all the owners and renovations, one room remained just as William Wrigley created it. To the left of the hand-carved double front doors is a tiny closet with a small table and a telephone switchboard, vintage of course. Today, it's assumed the butler used the room to call family members when visitors arrived. It has a unique silver sheen on the walls and the faint odor of mint. It is the gum room. It is wallpapered with foil from my favorite Wrigley chewing gum. Doublement. And what a beautiful story by a beautiful storyteller. And we're talking about Judy Pearson. The Wrigley Mansion story here on Our American Stories. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment with a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, 
or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.